Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. And I'm Stephen Graves. And this is... GM from Decrypt. Okay, GM Stephen, and today we've got Jack Lou from Magic Eden. GM Dan, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Magic Eden's got uh, quite a short but uh, storied history. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I mean, this platform, which is an NFT marketplace, just like the probably much better known OpenSea, and it started out as Solana NFTs only. But the company has only existed like nine or 10 months, and it has a more than $1.5 billion valuation. Wild growth. Absolutely. And there's a lot to talk about with Jack. Um, I'm curious to, to find out uh, how they're branching out beyond just the, uh, the you know, Solana and Ethereum chains and, and what their vision of a sort of multi-chain future is going to be for NFTs. Yeah, when they announced quite recently, we're now going to support Ethereum NFTs too, I saw it framed a couple different ways. You know, some people were like, oh, this is a big shot at OpenSea, which I guess would be the positive view for Magic Eden. But I also saw people saying like, wow, you know, the Solana diehards aren't going to like this. Uh, so we'll, we'll definitely have to uh, push him on kind of whether they worried about that community feedback. Yeah, and he's also talked a lot before about the sort of utility of NFTs and uh, art versus you know gaming and, and that sort of thing. So I'm going to be curious to to hear all about his thoughts on gaming NFTs. Yeah, there's so much here. Um, awesome. Well, let's bring him on. All right, Jack Lou, GM, welcome to the show. Howdy. How's it going, Dan? Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Lots to talk about. Let's start this way. Um, you know, sometimes we have guests from something pretty straightforward for the average listener, say a crypto exchange. But in your case, Magic Eden, uh, how do you explain and describe what you guys do, what the company is, to a non-already crypto savvy person? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm still working on it, to be really honest. But uh <laughs> Uh, Magic Eden, you know, we're, we're one of the leading NFT marketplaces uh, in the blockchain space. Um, we allow over 10,000 different types of crypto art, collectibles, and game NFT items to be discovered, traded, and uh, um, expressed and show, shown off on our, uh, on our marketplace. Um, and we, yeah, we started not, uh, around 10 months ago, <laughs> so we're a relatively young company, but um, we've been on a bit of a growth spurt. So we've grown from, you know, four founders to 100 people in 10 months. And, uh, you know, feel really lucky to have also raised a $130 million round in June to continue our growth. Yeah. And, and as a follow-up, I mean, do you find that you've got a lot of people in your life who, you know, you, you define Magic Eden as an NFT marketplace and they say, well, wait a minute, remind me again how NFTs work and, and what's your chosen uh, go-to ID of NFTs for those folks? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the way that I, I, I explain NFTs to folks is usually through a, you know, um, 
through, a, through an analogy, right? So in the sense of in the real world, we can see property that can be owned uh, and touched and you can say, hey, I own this, right? But on the internet for the longest time, we weren't able to you know, make that claim because um, things were just like bits and bytes and little pieces of data, but they were all the same, right? And you know, owning one, for example, one image or one MP3 it, um, uh, on, on the internet doesn't really mean that you really own it, right? You, you just kind of uh, are able to enjoy it. But now like with this new technology called NFTs, what you can do is you can actually own real singular pieces of property on the internet. And that property is very, is almost like a vessel. You can use that to own many different things. You can use it to own art. You can use it to own like digital fashion items. You can use that to own tickets. You can use that to own like identity providers, uh, identity identifiers. Um, so it's a very flexible new piece of technology. But what's kind of amazing and inspirational and like where, where you know, we see the great opportunity is as more and more people are spending inevitably more and more time online, it feels right that all of those like economic concepts of property that we see in the real world should also be replicated and kind of uh, and create like a vibrant ecosystem on the internet. So that's how I kind of explain NFTs as this almost like a new unlock, right? A new secret key for something that can exist on, on the internet that couldn't before. So when you're dealing with a more crypto savvy person, I guess, uh, how do you differentiate uh, Magic Eden from, say, the other NFT marketplaces that are out there? Yeah. Um, so we we think about Magic Eden in a couple of different ways, right? I think the first one is for Magic Eden, like we always had this philosophy of uh, of thinking about, hey, like for the longest time, marketplaces was uh, and and not just in the NFT space, but marketplaces throughout history has been the place where you come and buy something, and then you take it home and then enjoy the thing that you buy. So you got to kind of like decide to pay up front before you get to enjoy all the benefits. But we want to turn that on its head with Magic Eden as a marketplace kind of concept. And especially turning that on its head is very important to us where NFTs as a new thing is just so abstract. And, you know, you have to get people across the barrier of even trying to understand what it is. So what Magic Eden is really about is you come to Magic Eden and I want you to experience the value and experience the benefit of NFTs without having to pay anything upfront. And when you come to Magic Eden, the, our site and our app, for example, you can play these crypto games without having to buy anything. And if you're like, hey, actually, I like how these games roll. It's like I'm inspired by you know what, what people are trying to do here and I really like the gameplay. Yeah, then I can decide to fork out some money and buy that NFT and then I can enjoy it in my possession and put it in the game and so on. So we are really trying to flip that experience part of uh, marketplaces on its head. And we want to create a much more immersive and experiential uh, um, uh, 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 product. I think the other thing that we want to differentiate on is, in general, our reputation has been a very community-focused marketplace. And that's the beauty of crypto and the beauty of blockchain, right? Where it really democratizes access, control, voice from our users to, to, uh, with the platform. So we don't want to have a relationship where it's like, you know, for example, eBay with its users, it's very transactional. Like users come to eBay, they buy some stuff and then they contact customer support, but that's it. But we want to create a more uh, a two-way relationship where when we win, the users win. And when the users win, we win. So for example, we have this concept called a DAO, a magic DAO. And that is all, um, it's basically a massive kind of online community 
and that uh, and that community is made up of all of our users, and those users can vote on specific like platform policies and platform decisions, and we 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 listen to that. And that way, we create this culture of ownership and two-way uh, communication with our um, with our users and our community. I think that's really kind of propelled us and, and, and was a really major pillar in our growth as well. And that sort of community culture, I guess, is differentiated from the uh, the corporate approach of certain other NFT marketplaces. Um, have you like consciously positioned yourself in opposition to, to the likes of uh, OpenSea, for example? Uh, not particularly. I, 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 you know, we do hear that like uh, a little bit, and, and we do hear those observations. But I think um, we, well, like first and foremost, I think we have a ton of respect for the OpenSea uh, and, and team and like what they've done in many, like actually, undeniably, they are a pioneer in the space, right? And they believed in this a lot earlier than us, and they actually paved paved the way for many, many like not just NFT projects but also NFT marketplaces. I think what we are what we did is well we tried to focus more on ourselves and our philosophy of how to run this thing and how to be successful one of the kind of points of views that we have is we need to engage our users on their level right so it's not about like hey uh uh asking or doing something to have the users come to magic eden and engage with us on our level we should bring magic eden to users on their level and the users where are they they're on twitter they're on discord they love like trolling, they love shit talking. That's kind of the meme kind of culture and the irreverence of crypto, right? And for us to build a brand that resonates with those kind of users, we need to meet them where they are. And that's kind of, with that kind of thinking process, then, um, you know, the rest of like the community aspect, the, how we build the product and how we run like marketing and so on, that then like basically spawned from that. How How hard is that? Jack, when you say we want to focus on community and it's not like an eBay where it's just about the purchase, how hard is that to pull off at a time when the NFT boom, at least kind of the first round of the boom, was so much about rising prices? You know, we had on as a recent guest, uh, the founder of Artblocks, the NFT collection. And it was interesting. He was saying that when they had their big, massive price boom, he actually thought in the end it was more of a negative than a positive because it just made it seem like a kind of price speculator thing. So many of the people in the NFT space, they're in there to make a buck. They're flippers. They're buying. They're hoping it goes up. And when the price floor goes down, they're upset. Um, Is that something you just kind of feel like, well, that's beyond our control? Or can you try to combat uh, the rampant speculation and, and the lure for flippers? Yeah, uh, that's a really great question. I think, um, well, I think overall, like um, speculative behavior and like the financialization uh, kind of of assets, that's a thing that exists in all of crypto, not just NFTs, not just Magic Eden, right? That exists in fungible tokens and in DeFi throughout the history of, of effectively like crypto. My kind of my point of view is that to build a really successful platform, you have to. You, you have to take it for what it is, but also build towards the future. So you have to have an eye on where you want things to go by like 2030, but you cannot build for 2030 today. So you have to like serve what it is today and then like basically be a good actor and, be, and move in the right direction to build towards this brighter future where, you know, there's much more like vibrant art uh, ownership and, you know, this kind of like democratization of, um, uh, uh, of, of ownership kind of culture enabled by crypto. So you have to do both. To um, to address the point around like how do you then like accommodate these like speculators who are uh, who are in the ecosystem? 
my point of view is that they are still users, right? In the sense of users, at the end of the day, they really appreciate a platform, a product that is really kind of just trying to do the right thing by them. Like basically uh, with high amounts of reliability, high amounts of transparency with good degrees of like tr building a good degree of trust and generally listening and, uh, and building uh, and iterating on the user's feedback. So it doesn't really matter the what the true like financial, how intense the financial motives are for those users. At the end of the day, they are users of a software product in and of itself, and they appreciate those kind of like fundamentals as well. So that's kind of a, a, a little bit about our views on this. Um, let's talk about a little recent news. You know, what's interesting, we've been talking for about 10 minutes, and I don't think anyone has mentioned Solana, that Magic Eden started as an, an NFT marketplace built on the Solana blockchain. Now, of course, quite recently, Magic Eden said we're also going to support Ethereum NFTs. So talk to us a little bit about that decision, because... You know, for so long, I mean, none of this has been very long. You, you guys are like one of the fastest <laughs> unicorns I've seen. Um, you know, in, in something like nine months, you had more than $1 billion valuation. But we thought of you as, you know, the Solana NFT marketplace. But that won't be the case anymore. You're, you're opening it up to multi-chain. What has that meant? And, you know, were you guys wary at all of um, Solana diehards who very much see it as, you know, soul only, soul over ETH? Uh, were you wary of them being angry, outraged, surprised, you know, betrayal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's funny. So, you know, uh, it's really funny. I have to like walk walk down like memory lane a little bit. So uh, even at the beginning of Magic Eden, we, we, we had these like plans to go multi-chain. I was one, a while back, I was looking into um, some of our like old pitch decks and it had that like let's go multi-chain and so on. So it's a it's a it's a plan that we've had for a while. Um, but when we did make the announcement to go to ETH, of course we were also worried about like what our community's reaction would be, right? But I think at the end of the day, like um, uh, there is some very important like um, user-focused motivations for us. Like it's not about Magic Eden. Like of course, like we want to expand to a different market, like serve a different you know. Uh, you know, like grow our business and so on. But there is some very important like user motivations. And what 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 those motivations are is like there are amazing NFT communities, NFT collections and NFT creators and like culture on the Ethereum ecosystem. They are like things that we have long admired, right? They are like some of the most prestigious like collections and creators live uh you know uh, uh, have their origins on the Ethereum ecosystem. And there's many things that we can do to learn and also to like pour over some of those learnings to the way Magic Eden operates, but also the way like Solana, um, uh, our, our Solana ecosystem can operate as well. So for us, it's almost like, hey, like for, uh, we want to be the best uh, NFT marketplace and serve those users in the best way possible. And there, here is this, almost this other portion where folks have, such developed and mature and advanced understanding of how to build NFT culture. Why would we not want to go there and be a bridge of some of those learnings to the uh, to the Solana ecosystem as well? The second thing is that there is actually like very high degrees of user overlap between the two ecosystems. It's not so like mutually exclusively tribal. Like initially, that's what I thought too. It was like soul only, ETH only. But actually, um, as we dug more to learn about it. Actually, a lot of the Sol users came from Ethereum, and uh, from a perspective of like 
you know, a, a while back, Seoul was seen as like a frontier ecosystem. It's a new chain, a uh, new ecosystem, and folks who basically were much more early adopters and experimental, they like tried something on Ethereum and then moved past it to explore something new. So that was kind of the general like user journey or like migration path for a lot of the users. So for us to move from Seoul to ETH, it was actually very natural because a lot of those users were like, oh yeah, well, I've got a MetaMask already. I already know kind of about the landscape. It makes sense that uh, a Solana marketplace wants to move to Ethereum as well. So there was very, very high degrees of overlap. So yeah, all, all in all, I think, um, yeah, we were we were a little uh, stressed out about it, uh, you know, uh, when we we're doing the research, but everything turned out for the best. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that multi-chain world, um, do you see different uh, NFT use cases coalescing around different blockchain platforms? Yeah, I think um, that's definitely true. I, I do think Solana and Ethereum have very vibrant, like, collectibles culture. Uh, and really that collectibles culture, like PFPs, profile photos, avatars, that collectibles culture started from Ethereum and then um, the trend kind of like moved to, to Sol. But that is a use case that we see as something very, very vibrant. So even today, yes, we are in like a crypto bear market or NFT market, bear market. The last two days, the last three days on Magic Eden, we've, we've hit like almost all-time highs, like over 300,000 Sol uh, being traded. And um, and that's and, and, and all of those are trading like profile photos and... Um, uh, and basically collectible use cases. So to me, that's really showing like this use case around collectibles and uh, and, and, and profile photos have like some real longevity, at least on the Sol and Ethereum ecosystem. On the other blockchains, for example, like Polygon, um, uh, uh, Immutable and so on, they have become very category specific. So they are like going super, super deep on gaming and so on. And, you know, even some of the new chains that we hear, like for Mistin and so on, they are really betting deep onto, on, 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 these, um, on, these, uh, on these other use cases. Kind of our view on this a little bit is more that it, you can kind of tell by what type, what type of creators these chains are looking to invest and onboard into the ecosystem. And that is almost like a leading indicator for what use cases then become prevalent on that ecosystem. Because the loop is, you know, the kind of a, the ecosystem, like, I don't know, like growth loop or lifecycle loop is a little bit like it's the creators who create the use case. And then the use case bring on the end users onto an ecosystem. So when we see, when we think about which, which use case map to which ecosystem, first we see where the creators are really going. And that's kind of, the, the scoop we see between like Sol Ethereum with, with a lot of like collectibles creators who are very vibrant, very, very strong uh, communities. And then some of the other uh, ecosystems with like gaming and so on uh, and different creators moving to, to those kind of ecosystems. Yeah. Well, Jack, speaking of those ecosystems, um, we've got the Ethereum merge coming up. In fact, I think when this episode drops, it will have happened just days before. What will that mean uh, for Magic Eden? And not just because you guys were on Solana, of course, now you'll also be on ETH, but um, or supporting Ethereum NFTs. But I guess just your take on, you know, what will that mean for Solana and that community? Especially because it, it seemed to me that a lot of the early appeal and pitch of Solana was, you know, proof of stake and faster network. And so if, if the merge really goes the way that Ethereum people insist it will go, 
what might that mean for you guys or even just for NFTs writ large? Yeah, I, um, yeah, that's a tough one, to be honest. I, I, I don't have a super special uh, predictions there. Um, I mean, for us as a platform, we go into Ethereum and we're very excited to support the Ethereum ecosystem. So there is a technical consideration for us, which is, hey, we just want to make sure everything that we're doing, all of our product is stable uh, throughout such a like transformative phase for the underlying protocol. I think in terms of what the value proposition of Solana is versus what the value proposition for Ethereum could be, I think today is already very differentiated, right? Like I don't, I'm not sure if like one single event is going to change those two different things. So like Solana, so there were already very, very fast kind of um, L2 solutions, right? On the Ethereum network. So like Arbitrum, uh, Polygon, Immutable, like all of these solutions already exist with the value, value proposition of solidity, uh, fast finality times, uh, proof of stake and so on and so forth. So I feel that, but nevertheless, Solana, you know, made its own destiny and kind of like crafted its own value proposition and started its own developer ecosystem uh, separately. So I'm more of the mind that singular events on different ecosystems will not be enough to just transform different things, but it's much more around how vibrant would be the actual like developers, uh, developer ecosystems and use cases that live on these uh, li live on these two, uh, you know, on these different ecosystems. I mean, all that to say, like from a Magic Eden perspective, what we want to do is we want to serve, we're like a product company. So we want to serve our users best and we want to understand what the Ethereum users really want and what they are really underserved and we'll build products to serve them. And whether or not the merge happens or how the merge happens to us, it's just technology hurdles that we have to overcome to serve our users in that best way. And it's the same for Solana as well, right? Whether what happens to Solana pre or after the merge, we are committed to serving those users on Solana and serving them in the best way possible. And we will like wire up the technology underneath the hood to make sure that we can do that for them. So to shift gears a little, um, Magic Eden recently uh, launched a gaming venture arm. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, on NFTs in games. Um, it seems like we really haven't seen widespread mainstream adoption yet, um, possibly because it's still a nascent technology. What do you see as the as the roadblock to that? And do you think that NFTs are mature enough as a technology to actually build fully mainstream games on yet? Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things there. Number one, I think... Uh, it, the, this has been, this is like common, you know, this is uh, 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 in general, it's already a consensus uh, position. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm not going to like hop on about it, but it's very intuitive why games would want to have like want to use NFT technology, right? Because the gaming industry has had... Um, built a business model around like purchase in-game purchases, in-game items and so on for the last decade. 
And now NFTs allow them to have this like more complete economy that they could previously could not, right? So all of that, and you know, gamers are generally very tech savvy. So this feels like a really good, like early adopter kind of segment for them to adopt something new. So there, that, that kind of logic has already been uh, covered extensively. I think what is really, um, what our view here is that it's, um, there's a couple of things. Number one, the history of the gaming industry has been there will be major paradigm shifts in business models every so often. Like free-to-play was one, premium was another, like console before that was another. But once a game developer figures out the secret source on how to make that, um, how to make that business model work, it then becomes the dominant business model and the whole industry shifts very, very fast. And that's probably because that gaming industry is hyper-competitive. So people are really looking for an edge. And that was the story with free-to-play. Like free-to-play uh, at the start, everyone thought this was a toy. Like why would you not sell the game for like 10 bucks, right? And just give it to them for free and make a bet that you would be able to upsell some of those gamers into in-game items. But really that business model took off and it actually became a much more attractive uh, 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 a product experience for the vast majority of users. And the industry over the space of a few years dramatically transformed to adopt that business model. For us, it's the same. Like we think that NFTs has real promise because it unlocks something completely new for gaming developers to build an economy and build a new business model on. And there's lots and lots of gaming developers who are also betting on this trend. And to me, like to the question of like, why haven't we seen, you know, much more like widespread gaming, uh, you know, like amazing games and so on. My gut feel to that is it just takes a few. We are just waiting for a few diamonds to come to shine. And then that would, that would be seen as the case study for other game developers to say, well, wow, that's the secret sauce. And then they will follow. And then it will be a tidal wave that follows the paradigm shifts of the past. The other part to this is also that I think um, games in general, everyone knows like you have to, th there's no such thing as blockchain games for blockchain gamers. There is just great games for gamers. That's, that's it. And then blockchain is just some technology tool that we use to enable something in the game. So what we are really waiting for, and but great games take a long time to build. It takes like vision, inspiration, and a lot of dev time to build that much content. So we are effectively like waiting for the, the most promising game studios to have that like time to build out their content and then work out what is the you know, secret source of how to use NFTs in that. But nevertheless, I think all the more like structural forces are pointing in the right direction that this could be a, a great unlock. Yeah. Um, speaking of business models for uh, for NFT gaming, um, we've seen a, a bit of ne negative coverage uh, around the play to earn models pioneered by uh, Axie Infinity and uh, just recently some coverage of NFT gaming advocates talking about how people in developing countries could be paid NPCs in video games. Do you think that's really a good message to be sending about the technology and, and that kind of business model? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think definitely that's, that's not a good message, right? Um, um, I think it goes back to the point I was, I was making previously, which is, um, Gamers are mo uh, and the gaming industry, they are, and rightfully so, they are primarily motiv motivated by great gameplay. That is the reason they are like in that space. And for something to be like 
um, for something to be like overly financialized as the main motivation, you can see that that would just be very, com- but you know, like uh, create a term for itself as a game. You can see why that would be quite jarring to like folks in that industry. But nevertheless, that doesn't, I don't think that reflects the true potential of what, where the space could go. Everyone is still looking for the great content and the great gameplay that is you know, going to captivate millions and millions of users and then make and introduce to the to introduce those users to NFTs in like a seamless way that's part of that game experience. So I still yeah, we are like very bullish on this category for that aspect and I can see we see a lot of game developers coming into this space who are like betting towards that vision and that future and we're very bullish on them as well. Yeah, and beyond just the criticisms of play to earn and I think Axie got a lot of, you know, it had a big boom and then a bust. Um, a lot of people just hate NFTs, man. Uh, you know, gamers and even non-gamers. I mean, the public, when celebrities or athletes announce an NFT launch, they get they get a lot of shit. Um, I love to ask guests who are from the NFT world what you make of that and what you think would cause it to lessen or go away. Why are so many people so virulently angry and triggered by NFTs? Yeah. Um I think it's a combination of like a lot of things, right? Um, um, yeah, this, 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 there's so much unpacked, but I would say, look, I think number one, there is an element of bad actors in crypto. Like that is part and parcel with just that, that again, that's not like a, that has been the case throughout the history of crypto across all categories, right? Whether it's fungible tokens, DeFi, uh, now NFTs, uh, and before that, it was like, you know, ICOs, all of this stuff. When something becomes super financialized, because that has one of its, you know, core properties is to create like financialized assets. And it, it comes like part and parcel with the industry. So I can see why like folks who are outside of the, the space on first blush would just have a lot of like negative sentiment. At the same time, I also think there is an element of Throughout the history of technology, when like like when new transformative things happen, there is always this early adopter versus like you know majority mainstream uh, kind of tension, right? Where there is early adopters who are super optimistic because they can see the future, even if it is what not what it is today, and then there is folks who are like who are more like chill with how things are today, and they are skeptical, right, about how much change there could be. I was just watching this video on Twitter yesterday where I think it was um, it was like a late night show with Bill Bill Gates getting interviewed by um, David Letterman, actually. And David Letterman was saying, hey, like this is like in the mid 90s and it was talking about the Internet. And Bill Letterman was like, wow, like this is crazy. Like I just heard that um, on the Internet now you can like listen to a baseball game. Haven't you guys heard about the radio? And then Bill Gates is like, hey, like, this is pretty cool. This is the big story in town where people can publish information freely, permissionlessly on the internet. So there will always be some tension between, um, you know, folks who see, who are optimistic and early versus folks who can, who are like very happy with, you know, what they are today. All that being said, like, if I combine those two elements, I think what, what it comes down to is it's up to like, Maybe like companies like Magic Eden, who want to become, who are here for the long term, who want to build real use cases that's valuable to users and like solve their pain points as their primary mission. It's up to company and builders like us to basically unlock the way and 
and, and, and merge those two things together because we are a good actor, right? We want to push forward this technology. We want to make NFTs a thousand X, 10,000 X bigger than what it is today. And the only way to do that is not to get caught up too much in the ideology or skepticism of the users today, but treat that as an opportunity, like an, a problem to solve. Because once we solve that problem, those folks will be, you know, onboarded and, you know, they will be part of the, you know, the tribe just like us and we can then unlock the rest. So that's kind of how we see the, the general sentiment. But in some sense, we see that as an opportunity for us, right? Yeah. So wearing your Bill Gates hat, um, what do you see as some of the sort of bleeding edge use cases for utility with NFTs that are just emerging now? Um, I think that we focus primarily on collectibles and gaming, and we're super like bullish on those two things. And in some ways, we're, we also think those are super, super early. This is like first innings or even before the first innings. So there is a lot of depth uh, and a lot of hard work to do just to make those things uh, viable and prevalent and widely adopted, right? So that's where the vast, vast majority of our mindset and, 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 and mentality is right now. But outside of those two things, there's a couple of things that's very interesting, right? Like one, I think ticketing is really, really interesting. You can already see nascent uh, seeds of that already where, um, you know, like companies like Flow was like partnering with like, uh, I think like Ticketmaster or like, you know, one of the major ticketing giants. But more so like, if you go to any crypto conference now, if you want to join a party or something, you have to have the NFT of the party, right? And then, and that's the that's the uh, that's the access pass for you to go in there. Um, and the reason I really love that use case is, uh, if it's actually something that we really believe in is like great products want to make you feel something like emotionally, and if it's just about like pictures, playing like trading pictures is is great. Playing games and having fun with your friends is even better. But, you know, you always kind of remember that time when you went to a crazy party with your friend and, like, the memories were insane, right? So, like, but if NFTs can be bundled up with that experience and people feel it, people really feel, like, the magic of it, that is uh, a major unlock and, made, and something that did not exist in crypto before, right? Before it was just about DeFi and trading and making money and ROI and stuff. So that's why I'm very bullish on this like ticketing stuff where it's not just NFT as a use case for tickets, but it's NFTs and bundled with the experience that the ticket really unlocks for you. And I think that that's very, that could be very interesting. And of course, there's many other things There's you know, like NFTs going into DeFi being like, you know, being used as collateral to take out loans, which I think is very interesting. Uh, but very early, uh, in some sense, if you look at the traditional art market, like luxury art, yeah, people were collateralizing the Monet, right, for, <laughs> for, for, for money before. But now it's, you know, it's done with internet level liquidity and internet level markets. And I think that's very interesting. And uh, on Ethereum, there's a, there was a lot of talk a while back with something called soulbound tokens, basically like identity, identity being instrumented as NFTs. Uh, I think that, that that's very uh, interesting as well, but that seems pretty early. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I agree about token gated events and NFTs for ticketing. You know, when th at this year's NFT NYC, I finally saw some parties where you could not get in unless you proved that you owned the NFT. 
and it was on the spot, you know, whereas in the past they had, you could do that ahead of time. Like you'd go online and prove you had it and that would get your ticket. But, you know, pulling out your phone and, and showing the code, I even saw people buying a certain NFT while standing in line to get into yeah. the party. And I thought, okay, this is cool. This is finally happening. Um, so we're, yeah. we're getting closer to that time. But, but Jack, I want to make sure there's something we sometimes do at the beginning, but we've saved it till toward the end today. Uh, let's zoom out a little bit and, and rewind. What's your own personal kind of history? Do you remember the first time that you learned about crypto and what were you doing pre Magic Eden? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been playing and dabbling around in crypto for a, for a long time um, since maybe like 2014 or so. So actually, Magic Eden, we have four co-founders, uh, me, then Sid, our CTO, Joshin, our CEO, and uh, Joji, or Rex, who's our chief engineer, uh, who does like the most like technically, all of our like, you know, technical secret sauce uh, is done by, by Joji. But yeah, uh, my history in crypto is actually very intertwined with my co-founders because we've known each other for, for a really long time. So actually, Sid, uh, my CTO, he and I were high school friends, so we knew each other like when we were 15, 16, still living in Australia. And what he did was he, after he graduated university in Australia, he started a crypto company and he raised some money uh, and moved to Boston to start that company. And he and I, we were kind of in the startup scene together. I was very inspired. I was like, wow, this is like insane. I, I, you know, uh, like, you know, what a, what, what a massive bet. And, you know, um, I, I was actually very inspired. So I went to um, check check them out in Boston. I was like trying to like do some live work for them, but also see what's up. And that's when I really like went down the uh, crypto rabbit hole. So this was like 2013, 2014, right? And this was the early Bitcoin days. And uh, I came more from a like finance law background. And um, I think if you are interested in technology, and if you understand a little bit about finance and law, uh, looking at blockchain crypto, you have the right mental model for understanding how transformative this thing could be. Because this one, from a tech perspective, this looks like a new computing platform, like a new computing paradigm, even though at that time it was very early. From a law perspective, for the longest time on the internet, there is no law, right? Law, you know, there is no cyber, cyber law as a, uh, as a discipline is very, very immature uh, on, the, on the internet. But with this blockchain thing, it looked like you could basically create norms and behaviors through code and you can enforce those things. And this seems like, man, if we come from a Web2 world or like a real analog world where we had over hundreds of years, we built social norms like don't rob people, don't kill people. And then we codify those things through law. And but then, you know, mankind, we will spend more and more time on the Internet. But we we still obviously still need the same kind of norms, but we don't have the technology or the institutions to enforce those norms. This thing seems, this blockchain crypto thing seemed like very transformative. From a law perspective, it was, it was, it was very, um, uh, um, you know, I, I thought like this thing could be huge. And then from finance, I did, like crypto throughout its history has always been around financializing like assets that couldn't exist, right? Or long tail assets. So I thought that was very interesting. So from that time, I kind of went into the rabbit hole. And then for me, uh, then I kind of did a lot of big company jobs. I like worked in consulting, um, and then you know I, I I was a product manager at Google, and um, but through a, like every major period like of career transition, 
I was thinking about jumping into crypto. I was thinking like, man, like some, something really, really cool is happening here. Like I, I, I want to do something. Um, and this is where my other co-founders come in, where like Jushin, uh he's another Australian who lives in San Francisco and he's a crypto OG. So he, he was already in crypto like 2017 and he was uh, employee number two at DYDX, one of the biggest like uh, Ethereum uh, DeFi exchanges. And I would basically get advice from him. I'll be like, yo, should I make this career move? Like, should I jump into this project or that project? And he'll, he'll give me a lot of advice. Um, but throughout that time, the reason I didn't jump in was I never thought that I had an edge. Like, it felt like for, you know, the longest time, if you look at pre-NFTs, the biggest crypto use cases that took off were finance related. They were like guys who build exchanges, guys who build trading shops, people who build DeFi, and folks with a very like who come from a high finance background had the insight to do something very, very creative and do something very transformational. But I, I, I was not that. I was a consumer internet like product guy, right? That that wasn't really my forte. But when NFTs as a use case popped up, and this was really a basically a last 18 months or last 12 month phenomenon, right? That's when I kind of like stepped back and thought, wow, this feels like crypto going consumer because this is no longer about trading coins and talking about ROI and like looking at trade, trading view charts and like, you know, support resistance levels. This is more about art, culture, celebrities, something that's cool, parties. Like these are things that people love to do, right? And I remember when I, when I used to talk to my friends about crypto before NFTs, I could see their eyes just glaze over. They'll be like, what consensus mechanism, what mining thing? Like it's so hard for them to yeah. understand. But when you talk to them about NFTs, they're like, what Drake did this? The weekend did that? That's insane. Like what this party is crazy. So to me, this feels like the moment when crypto goes consumer. And then I thought, well, if it's, Crypto going consumer, I was a consumer internet guy. This feels like the edge that, you know, I was always looking for. So that's when we got like our co-founders together. And it was um me and Joshua and we came from the exchange game where like I was I was working at FTX, he was working at Coinbase, and then Sid and Rex, who are like longtime colleagues, they were very, very early Uber guys. They came from consumer marketplaces. And we said, hey, the four of us have the right skill set to make this work because NFT marketplace is like consumer marketplace plus like crypto, like trading kind of behavior. And we have the right combination of mentalities to make this work. Yeah. So that's a bit of the story. I suppose that's a good place to, to wrap things up with uh, with one final question. As a consumer yourself, um, which NFTs excite you? What's what's on the virtual walls of your NFT collection? Um, yeah, I I've got uh, yeah I've got a lot of NFTs that didn't do very well, so I'm like very <laughs> embarrassed to say. But um, the one that I uh, the one that I love the most is um, is this NFT collection called Belugis on Solana, and it's a picture of a whale, right? Oh, like a belugi, like a marine animal. But the story behind it is amazing because uh, the collection founder is this 14-year-old girl and she uh, wanted to start this collection to raise money for marine wildlife conservation, like to save belugis. And we found her uh, almost uh, yeah, Q4 last year. 
like NFT NYC 2021. We got in contact with her and we realized she was doing her launch. And we said, hey, like we love what you do and we want to support you. And we launched her collection on Magic Eden. So we were the launch partner. But then she uh, raised, I think like a million bucks or something. And it was insane. It was just like super successful, resonated with everyone. And it was covered on Yahoo Finance, CNBC for a day. And then she, uh, with the money, she had like a massive check and she flew uh, to this conservation center and like donated the money. And to me, I felt that story is amazing for so on so many different levels. Like one, a 14-year-old girl saw the future of this thing and committed her time and took a bet to explore something that's completely unknown. And I wish I had that kind of conviction and that kind of courage when I was 14, right? Like as a founder, Sada founder, I, you know, I, I really admire that, right? Someone who wants to go the, uh, you know, take the, uh, take the winding road, like the off the beaten path and try something new. So I really, really admire that. And two, she did this for such a selfless reason, right? Trying to use technology to do something good in the world that previously could not be done before. And number three, she succeeded, which is amazing. And her success is a case study for other people to say, wow, holy shit, I did not like know we could do that with NFTs. And more people will see her story and be inspired and come into the space. So I just thought like that is like that's my favorite. And that's the we want to do enable more folks like that at Magic Eden. You know? Nice. A view into your bags. I'm sure you've also got some <laughs> PFP one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like everyone. Uh, well, this is great. This is great, Jack. Uh, so much to talk about, and we'll have to check back in with you soon, especially as things progress in our multi-chain NFT future. But Jack Liu, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, folks. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. And I'm Stephen Graves. 